Hey there, Shelly. Have you heard about VanHack? Oh, you mean the HR tech sensation that's taking the recruitment world by storm? That's the one. VanHack is revolutionizing how companies find top talent globally. Imagine connecting with skilled professionals from all around the world without the hassle. Absolutely. VanHack has a great team and seamless technology where recruiters and companies can discover talent with ease. And they have a talent pool specifically curated for tech professionals. Tech savvy and globally connected, just what every company needs. VanHack offers tailored solutions for companies of all sizes, from startups to Fortune 500 giants. So if you're ready to take your recruitment game to the next level, join VanHack today. Yeah, visit VanHack and unlock a world of talent right at your fingertips. VanHack.com, where global recruitment meets simplicity. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, how are you doing? It is a gorgeous day here in the western part of Canada. The smoke from the forest fires has dissipated. We're expecting a little bit of rain. It's blue sky. Oh, I just love the summer. How about you? Sir? Summer's here. Summer's here. Yes. I'm ecstatic about it. I can ship my kids outside for hours and not worry about them. So I love summer. Yeah, for sure. It's beautiful. Serge, our guest today is someone that I had the amazing opportunity to be sat with at the Plum event when we went to Unleash. And we immediately start talking. I'm asking him all about what he does. And he says, well, as luck would have it, I actually wrote a book on the subject. And he pulls his book out of his backpack and gives it to me. I am so pleased to have on the show with us today, Ben Eubanks, who is the Chief Research Officer with Lighthouse Research and Advisory. Ben, so good to see you again, and welcome to the show. So glad to be here with you, Shelley, and you, Serge, as well. Looking forward to a fun conversation. I'm going to start us off, Ben, because for our audience, some may go a chief research officer. Okay, didn't know there was such a thing. So enlighten us. Share a little bit about your background, Ben, and how does somebody as a chief research officer end up in talent acquisition? Yeah. Professional nerd would be an easier title probably to throw out there. I wanted to be in HR when I was a kid. I didn't know what it was called yet. I got my degree in HR, worked in the space for a couple of years and loved being a recruiter, loved being an HR leader and had the chance at one point to actually step out and do writing and speaking and research full time. And I thought, I don't know. I really love this work I'm doing. I love my amazing company, amazing leader. I'll give it a try. If I hate it, I'll go back in. I'll find another job. I'll be fine. And that was almost 10 years ago. So I've been doing research ever since then, now run my own firm, and I spend my days doing two kinds of research. So really understanding the tools and technologies that all the people listening in right now are using to serve the candidates, serve their employees, and doing research on trends, changes, what's happening in the space, how candidates feel about the hiring process right now, what's making them thrilled, what's making them not so thrilled, right? Really diving into some of those kind of things and seeing what's happening. So it's so much fun for me to have this perspective and then give all of that information 100% freely back to the recruiters, the talent leaders, the HR leaders in the community so they can level up what they're doing. So how do you make money? <laughs> I know, I 
was just going to say, then you give it away. Yeah. So so we'll do a big study at Lighthouse. Our big talent acquisition study as an example this spring, we had three different companies come in and sponsor the research. They get Mm -hmm. a little bit influenced on the questions, but overall I'm asking the questions. I think leaders want to know answers to things that they're hearing about things they're curious about. For example, we asked questions back in March. It was a lot of are you seeing layoffs in your recruiting team? What's happening with all that kind of stuff? So we asked a lot of questions around those things. That's how the research overall gets funded and helps me to be able to give that back, again, free access to the people that want it. I have to be careful with that, obviously, because we're an independent firm. It can't be really skewed, all the stuff coming out of it. They get to influence the questions a little bit as providers in the space, but they don't get a chance to just write out everything they want and then skew it the way they want to. For me, that gives me a little bit of distance there and allows me to be honest with it and come back and say, hey, the thing you're doing isn't the thing people want. Just full transparency. It's a lot of fun to be able to bring that stuff back together. So just for clarity, though, Ben, are you saying that you're also looking at candidate trends, job seeker trends, or is your research totally focused on talent acquisition tools, technology? So I'll give you an example. Okay. One of the things we did this year in our candidate survey is we asked questions about in the hiring process, what matters most to you? What do you care most about? And one of the things that popped out to me is in the data, we saw that women were much more likely than men to say the number one thing I care about when I'm looking for a job is know what the starting salary is before I get too deep into the Mm -hmm. conversation. They want to understand the starting salary, the starting pay so they can make a decision where they want to pursue that or not. People of color are 50% more likely than white candidates to tell us that if a company is talking to them about a job and they're not mentioning career development, they expect to get paid a lot more. There's a tax for employers that aren't talking about how we're going to grow you, how we'll develop you. So we have lots of stuff in there from the candidate side, how they feel, what's going on, what the priorities are. We also have a lot of data in our other studies from the employee side. So how their employer is supporting them or not, how their leader is engaging with them or not, all those kinds of things, because you and I both know the other side of the recruiting coin is retention side. How do we keep our people so have to re-recruit and fill that job again? That's the joy again that I get of this because it's really practical. A lot of researchers out there, I had no clue, might be a little bit naive. A lot of people made this transition before I did. What I found is that most people who are analysts in the space, most people who are researchers in the space, I love and appreciate them, call a lot of them friends, but most of them have never hired someone before. They've never actually done any of the things that the people here listening right now, you've done. You've got that wreck that landed on your desk. You're like, oh gosh, how am I going to fill this one? Like all those kind of feelings you feel, they've never felt those things. They have this abstract sense of them. They've never had to go through that. One of the hardest jobs I ever had to fill, Blackhawk helicopter instructor pilots. That was a fun, crazy challenge, right? But I got to learn all the pieces from how to source candidates, how to really court someone, how to move them through, how to make sure they're a fit for us, how to outmaneuver someone else when there's another offer on the table, like all those kind of things. That was a joy for me. So I really appreciate what you're saying here because great talent acquisition people ask great questions. It's what you ask and how you ask it. And I've been in recruitment for, let's just say more than 20 years. And looking back over successful hires, I can tell you every single time, what did we ask them? I get it. Like having worked as a recruiter, how you could transition to research because it's about asking great questions. Okay, Serge, over to you. Over to me. Yeah. There's one thing that you said there that I'm really curious because you mentioned a lot of the analysts and people have never actually really done the job itself, but you're also meeting with a lot of tech companies, right? That are new to the space. And my experience at Unleash and HR Tech is The majority have never been in the space or they were a hiring manager that had a difficulty and be like, I can fix this. 
What's been your experience when you're researching HR tech companies? Do you see a split? Do you see them that have experience and have done the job be more successful than the ones that have not really done the job? What's your thoughts there? That's a really great question. I see a lot of companies that start up, and you probably have talked with these people one-on-one, a lot of people that say, hey, I had this problem when I was trying to recruit, and I couldn't find something, so I went out and found someone who was technologically savvy to build it for me, and we start now now marketing that. That sort of thing happens pretty regularly. I meet companies that are just starting up, and that's where a lot of that comes from. I had this frustration. We needed the problem solved. We went out and built something to solve that problem, because if we had that issue, lots of people probably did. At the same time, I still meet companies that are like, well, I think this is the problem. Let's go build it. And then we'll take it to market, see what people say about it. No, that's a bad plan, right? You might find Mm -hmm. out you built it to solve the wrong problem or you built something that was like fourth down the list in terms of priority. And they're never going to buy that because the budget up top is always going to be focused on something else they really need solved today. When I'm talking to a vendor in the space, I'm always emphasizing really close feedback loops with practitioners. If you don't have clients yet, using beta testers, spending time with other leaders, trying to just understand what their problems are, their challenges are, how they talk about their issues. And again, everybody listening in right now, like all of you are live case studies every single day. You may feel like, eh, we may not be as advanced as someone else, or we might not have everything buttoned up. Guess what? Nobody does. So I want to give you all that comfort right now that you may feel like you're a little behind, but you probably are doing things better than you think you are. You're probably a little bit ahead of the curve in some areas and maybe behind in others, and that's perfectly fine. Completely agree. I want to jump into your latest book. The book really caught my attention because we've been talking about this quite a bit, the labor shortage or skills mismatch, like what is happening to the workforce? And I don't think anyone has really figured it out. If you just look at the employment numbers in Canada and the US, just still doesn't make any sense. Diving into your book, it's called Talent Scarcity, Retain and Engage the Shrinking Workforce. I recommend everyone to go buy that book. But I I want to know what inspired you to write it? As a researcher, I hear a question once or twice. I'm like, that's interesting. I'll kind of make note of that. I'll file it away for later. When I hear a question 15 times, there's something that needs to be written here. Something needs to be solved here because everybody's having the same issue. And the question I kept getting in the last few years, and some of you probably heard the same one, was where are all the people? Where'd they go? Like, where are all the good mm-hmm. workers? Where's the talent? And so I wanted to understand the answer to that, but I again, very solution-oriented, okay? So I did not want to hey. just spend an entire book saying, well, here's the problem, good luck. There's no benefit to that for most of us. So I wanted to spend a little time diving into what those issues were, how to really understand them, whether it was possible to remedy some of them or not, the reasons people leave for relieving the workforce, but also then spend the rest of the book saying, here's some really creative and interesting ways to recruit people that you may have never heard of, some ways to keep and retain your people. Here's what's going to happen with automation, how that fits into this picture. So I really wanted to focus on the solutions piece because I kept seeing all these headlines saying, doom and gloom, employers, good luck. There's no more people available. And they're just reiterating the stuff over and over again. And if that's bothering me and I'm not even recruiting anymore, I know it's bothering all my friends out there who are being given a new rec, having to figure out how are we going to solve for this? So yeah. that was really the impetus and the driver for that. So in your mind, you had to choose one thing that a talent acquisition, a recruiter is recruiting in this market. Where should they focus? What are the key points that you think, if I did this today, it's going to help me? Goodness, that's like asking the one lunch item that's going to satisfy everybody listening in, right? So a a a couple of things. I think understanding some of the underlying factors for why people are quitting their work, why people are staying out of the workplace, some of those things help us to create a lever to potentially draw them back in. People are leaving because of the stress and burnout. They're leaving because of all different issues. Those things that drive them out, if we can use those as a hook to bring them back, wonderful. 
Right? There are some people that no matter what we do, we probably will not be able to entice them to come back yet. There's some really weird kind of nuances that are happening in the market, especially in the U.S. One of the big things I would recommend is making sure you're not doing a one-size-fits-all kind of process for connecting with candidates, for communicating with them, all those kind of things. I completely understand that that sounds like chaos and anarchy to say we're going to give some flexibility in this or create yeah. some sort of alternative paths or different ways of communicating because you're creating more work for yourself. But like the examples I gave earlier about how different people see the hiring process differently or prioritize different things differently, that carries through the entire process. Our big talent acquisition research last year, I kept hearing, we need to communicate with candidates more. And every employer knows that, right? You should be more communicative. You should be more engaged with it. But what do you say? What do you actually talk to them about? So when we were surveying the candidates, we said, how can an employer really respect you? How can an employer show you that they care about who you are and what you can do? And candidates told us the number one way employers can do that is see me for my potential, not just for what I can do right now, but for my future potential career paths. And so when I'm talking to employers and giving recommendations, it's, hey, guess what? When you're talking to candidates, don't just say, here's a job. Do you want it? And cross your fingers and hope. But we actually have this career path and here's how we develop people. Guess what? We actually have a record of doing this thing over here with our mission for the company and how we support these nonprofits. Find something that connects with candidates and really sounds appealing and is not just another, here's another job. We did an experiment this year. I don't get to do this very often, so I got all excited. We did an experiment during the, the survey of candidates and said, okay, here's two different jobs. Which one would you apply for? One of them was very straightforward. We are a refrigeration company. We work in markets worldwide. Come work for us. The other job ad said, we help enable safe food delivery for people around the world who otherwise wouldn't have access to it. And candidates were multiple times more likely to select that second one because it talked to the real meaning of the work they'd be doing there. Not just, we need you to come in here and be refrigeration tech, but you're going to help someone get food that's not going to have it today because we're able to provide it to them tomorrow. And so like things like that, it's easy for us to gloss over that and think, mm -hmm. well, that doesn't apply to us because we're in this space. There's a way to translate that. There's a way to translate it into something that connects to the candidate on a deeper level. And that's the big thing. There's like a crisis of connection going on and candidates want to feel like the company really sees them and cares about them for who they are, what they can do, what their potential could be in the future. And there's all kinds of data points that keep coming up over and over again. I ask a question a different way, thinking I'll get a different answer. And it comes back to that true north every single time. Interesting. That is fantastic. I love that. The crisis of connection. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've worked with leaders and said, put a little heart into this. What they believe is that candidates just want the facts. Yeah. Facts are you will do this and this. And here's what it pays. No, it is true. Like connect to people, talk about meaningful work. You'll win every time. And so when I share that with them, I get this blank look like never occurred to them. Yeah. I'll bring never my Southern to the to conversation and say, come on, y'all, let's do this. <laughs> we can do this. Yeah. Absolutely. It creates more work for us. We have to make sure our yeah. hiring managers are alongside us. We can't do yeah. all of this yeah. ourselves. Yeah. But together, we can create a different experience where someone walks away saying, like, even if I don't get that job, wow, they treated me so well that I'll still tell someone else to apply for it, even though I didn't get the job. And those kinds mm -hmm. of things are entirely possible. There are companies who are doing those things really well right now. And that's mm -hmm. an encouragement to everybody out there that just because the job's not right fit for that person today, you want them to come back tomorrow, let's treat them so they want to come back tomorrow. So simple, hey? So do you think maybe technology is getting in our way? 
Because you talked a bit about process, Ben, Mm -hmm. and there needs to be process because without process, everybody's all over the map, right? So you've got to put some guardrails in place and technology helps us with that. But then you're going to rely on the system. Somebody wrote this template on how we respond to candidates. We're just going to keep using it. But you touched a little bit about taking a look at the data on the candidate side. If you're looking to attract more women, make sure you're clear about the starting pay rate. Yes. But what are some of the things that you can do a little more creatively that will still keep you on side, but attract the sort of people you're looking for? Absolutely. So I mentioned career development a minute ago. For a long time, the only extent of career development conversation, hiring process was you may ask the hiring manager, hey, what are the plans for this job? What's the plans for the next year? And they'll say, oh, we'll talk about that at your six month review knowing that probably will never, ever happen. They'll forget, or I can claim I forgot, or whatever else. What we saw in the data recently is that seven out of 10 candidates said, I prefer a company to talk about those things during the hiring process because they're using that as a way to sift and filter which company they want to work for. They want to work for a company that sees them not just as another, I'm going to plug you into this thing and you're going to stay there until you eventually burn out or quit, but I plug in you in here with the intent of building you. Here's the next path. Here's the next path. Here's options for you. Think about this. Forget the candidate for a second. Let's think about an actual employee, okay? Because we're about to go and grab them from some other employer. If the company and the leader they're working for has not painted a picture of what that future looks like, that's completely blank canvas. When I call them and I start talking about this offer that I have, about the opportunity that I'm about to present to them as a recruiter, I have a chance to paint a beautiful picture and there's nothing to compete with that in their mind. And so that's immediately going to look more appealing, more enticing. They said the grass is greener on the other side, but the grass is greener there because no one else has even given them a picture of what it could look like for them at that company. That's a big part of this, I think, is really helping candidates to picture what that looks like and play off of that. The company statistically, their manager statistically has probably not done that for them. You get a chance to talk about, here's what opportunities look like here. Here's a story of someone who joined us a year ago and here's where they are now. And they're exceeding and excelling in ways they never Mm. thought possible. That costs us nothing, by the way. And it creates a lot of connection for candidates. They feel very tethered to that opportunity, to the leader, because they're already starting to build that habit of talking about what's next with them. There's no weirdness when three months in, like, hey, you already talked about that. What does that look like? What do I need to be doing to build up for that next step? There's no weirdness there because the leader's already presented it to them. Sometimes someone says that three months in and the leader's like, oh, be quiet. You just got here. You need to focus for a year or two. Keep your head down. Then we'll see if you paid your dues that you've already superseded that conversation and created a moment where they can transition to, hey, how can I keep building for what's next? How do we keep working towards that shared vision for my future? And that's a powerful place to be. So Ben, I just want to clarify something. Seven out of 10 people want to grow in their career or be seen for their potential, not just same for same, right? Seven out of 10 people say that during the hiring process, they want that recruiter, that hiring manager to talk to them about what career growth looks like. So what I'm thinking is there is a percentage, and is it 30% of people who just want a J-O-B? I just want to go to work. I want to know when I start. I want to know what I'm going to get paid. And I want to know that my job will always be here. And that is what attracts those people is the fact that it is cemented. There is no path. You are here to do this job. It's not about their potential. Is there a percentage of the population or the workforce where that's all they care about is stability? Just don't change my job. I just want to do this. I bet there is a percentage of people that say that to some degree. 
What I'll tell you is I was a little bit shocked when we asked a question of candidates, why do you ghost employers? When you apply for a job and you don't respond back, why do you do that? When we look at those who are in frontline positions, those are the ones that I would go along with your line of thinking here, probably the ones that are most likely to say, I just want a job. I just want something where I'm settled and I know what to expect. And Frontline workers were the most likely to say they ghost an employer when they don't talk about any sort of career growth during that hiring process, strangely. Mm-hmm. They're like, don't put me in another dead-end job. Like, I'm doing this now, but I'm only doing this six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. I don't see myself doing that. Help me figure out how you're going to grow me. And it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean, okay, you're going to start bagging groceries and you'll be the store manager in six months. But it could be, we're going to rotate you to this new thing. We're going to teach you a new skill. We're going to get you in a leadership development program. We're going to find ways to keep building your skills or just, hey, guess what? You're going to college. We know this isn't where you're going to be 10 years from now, but we're going to help subsidize your that or give you a scholarship or something else. Those kinds of things are valuable to someone because they're getting something in addition to just paid for hours. They're getting something more deeper there as a connection with that employer and the value they're getting. One of the interesting tie-ins there is the gig economy. What yeah. we see in the data is when someone takes a job with one of the ride-sharing companies, for example, and they do surveys with them, the number one reason they say they do that work is for flexibility. I own my time. I control when I work, when I don't. And I'm willing to do this, which seems like it's more volatile to say, I'm going to just go out on my own and do this thing. But they feel like they have more control over everything else. Nerdy side bar here for a second. One of the things we found in the data We ask about flexibility. Here's one of the other things you can talk about. So everybody listening into this, you're like, what else can I do besides the career thing? Talk about flexibility with the people you're trying to recruit. That doesn't just mean work from home. That's one option out of many. And we ask workers, how do you define flexibility? Work from home is number five on the list. Number one Mm. is choices in when I work. Number two is choices in how I get my work done. A little more autonomy or control in my work. So People prefer all these other types of flexibility, and we don't often think about those things as the primary way to connect with them and create some balance around the things they have to get done in life. There's a really fun case study in the book that talked about this manufacturing company that put together what they called a parent shift. So they had this issue filling one of their shifts during the day, and they kept talking to candidates who would say, oh, I'd love to take this job, but I've got to drop my kids off in the morning or pick them up after school, and I can't work. So they created a shortened shift that was only about six hours long. So they had had the time to drop off, pick up in the afternoons. And quickly that shift became more productive than their eight-hour shifts because someone finally gave these people a chance to work. They wanted to, they just had to find a job that fit around their schedule. So the flexibility thing really does pay off. And talking about that during the hiring process helps you to stand out from all the other employers that say, yep, absolutely, we're flexible. As long as you're here at eight o'clock, no big deal. And not giving them any other sort of options. So we can really play up some of the other things that really matter to them, choices and benefits, choices and training and career opportunities, all that kind of stuff. Really good example. And I live that example on a daily basis with kids that you have to drop off at school at 8.30, then pick them up at 3.30. And if we look at the workforce and what the pandemic did, especially to women, they quickly realized that flexibility is key for them when they're looking for work. That's something that every company listening to should look at because I would take that in a heartbeat if it was an option. I want to jump into AI. And I sure. I did not realize before half an hour ago that you wrote a book on AI in 2022. Obviously, the last six months, we have seen a major shift that we probably have not seen since mobile or even the internet with AI coming into recruitment. And it's really in its infancy. We're seeing a ton of noise, a ton of vendors releasing 
HR tech, WIT, AI, Incorporated, either Chat GPT, or we have Eightfold and companies that have been leveraging AI, but in a different way. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions around AI. It's very confusing. What does it mean? So what is the difference between, say, generative AI and large language models, what Eightfold was using? Can you break that down for me? Can I push back a little bit on that? You okay with that? Yeah, you can. Yeah, please do. I'm friendly. I'm going to be nice about it. But (laughs) does the audience care? Does it matter? I'll tell you why I say that. So the book on artificial intelligence for HR, which is what it's called, is really focused on the practical examples, the outcomes, the things that everyone here has to get done. And so instead of saying, I'm going to talk really deeply about neural networks or about large language models or about any of the specific types of AI, I said, guess what? I'll give you a really brief understanding of how these things work. And then we're going to dive into the real problems they solve. So we'll talk about matching up a candidate and how that works generally with the AI behind it, but not really in depth because most of us aren't building the tools. Most of us are trying to use the tools to solve a problem. That's how I focused on that for the last couple of years, because it's really easy to get wrapped up. And the reason I wrote the first edition of the book five, six, seven years ago now is because some of the people out in the market were making it overly complicated. We're trying to make it really hard to understand. So they would be the person who was always seen as the expert. I'm like, no, no, we don't need to be getting into the nuts and bolts of every little detail. We do need to know how it makes decisions because we're the biased experts in the business. We're accountable for the results yeah. at the end of the day. But I don't spend a lot of time getting 10 layers deep into all the algorithms and everything else and all the signals and all those kind of things, because that's steering us away from the actual work that most of us have to do. Is that fair? A completely fair. I'm going to push back a little bit on Bring you. It. Yes. So one of the things that HR and talent acquisition has always been a challenge is our understanding of the business and what impacts the business. We're not seen as the leaders. So when we talk about having a seat at the table, having a deep understanding of actually how it works in the back end could be a major advantage when we're having these discussions internally to be taken seriously. So that's my only pushback to it. But that I is agree. Completely true. At the end of the day, we're looking at outcomes. We are trying to solve a problem, like you said, and how can AI help us solve that problem? So right now, looking at everything that's out there, what's your thoughts? If you were a recruiter, how would you use AI in your day-to-day right now? That is a great question. My goodness. No one's asked me that one. So if I was using it for some of the things that are a little bit more repetitive things that are not high stakes, I would be using some of the generative AI tools to create content to quickly respond to people. That's one of the things I've been doing. When it comes to some of the AI matching for candidates, if I've got a hundred candidates that I'm trying to filter through and sort through, I do not want to look at a hundred resumes. I'd rather spend time building relationships with five to 10 of those people. And so I'm going to let that do the quick short list for me, find the people that have the skills that are related to this work so I can dive deeper and really connect with them and find out which one's going to be the right fit for the job, for the manager, all those kind of things. I'll be using some of those tools, especially in the areas where there's a lot of repetitive effort and there's not a lot of value in each individual piece of that task. The other piece that AI is very well suited for is where humans often have a high incidence of error, right? So looking at a lot of data and trying to make a decision, Some of the other areas like automation, though, I've seen some of the tools out there that will let me flag someone. We go through this amazing process. I end up picking Serge, not Shelly. Sorry, Shelly. Shelly's our silver medalist. I tag her as a silver medalist and have her in a campaign to circle back with her when there's a role relevant to her, when there's another opening that matches the other one or Serge drops out 
three weeks later because whatever happened, right? Your family moved to Idaho. We could reach back out to her automatically, really taking care of our silver medalists and keeping them warm in the funnel so that I can come back to them quickly. Those kinds of things I'd be using all day long. I've admitted nerd status a couple of times. This will cement that forever. Back in 2010, I was trying to build my own tools to do those kind of things using a very terrible ATS and some other email marketing tools, trying to figure out how do I build these things so I can reach out to a lot of candidates all at once or segment this to this group of candidates. Or if they sign up from this source, I want to send them that message. I was trying to do those things even back then. The tools were not built for it. Thank goodness for the technology that's available now because it makes a lot of the things much easier. So you mentioned AI matching and career coaches. A lot of people are saying, hey, I'll get your resume through basically AI of ATS. And I'll be honest, I've been a recruiter and I've been consulting for recruitment and I have not seen many companies that use any type of AI matching. And I recently read an article that stated Indeed, Zip, all use AI matching in some way, but I still say the majority, there is no AI matching at all. It's a human rejecting a resume. Am I off base? So I'll tell you that when it comes to those kinds of things, when it comes to using an Indeed or something else, when those companies talk about having AI built into the products, it's something at the most rudimentary level. You say, oh, it's this skill. And it says, you know what? We generally see that these other three skills are related to that. So if we see those other ones, we're going to use that as a proxy for whatever skill you're searching for. That is like the barest minimum to be called AI. And that's what many of them are talking about. That's what they're doing. It's not that like flashy, exciting sort of thing that's changing everything. A lot of the resume parsers and stuff like that are using those types of technology. I don't want to negate that because there is value in it. If I'm a new yep. recruiter or I've never recruited in healthcare before and I see these weird terms, I'm like, I have no idea what these even mean. I'm searching for candidates and hoping I find one. The tools that help you do that make you a little bit more capable, a little bit sharper because it can help you find candidates you couldn't otherwise find. But at the end of the day, it's not going to solve some of the problems you have to solve. It may help you cut through and find someone a little faster or find someone you wouldn't have found otherwise. But there's a lot of other human parts of the hiring process that need to be done there. I'll give you something really interesting here in the candidate side. You hear in the headlines, candidates hate AI. AI is going to ruin recruiting, all those kind of things. And one of the things that popped out to me is we actually asked candidates, are you okay with the company using automated tools in the hiring process? And the number one way a candidate said it's okay with them, number place is when it comes to matching them with a job that fits their skills, that fits who they mm. are. They're perfectly cool with the company doing that. The closer we get to that offer process where I say, Hey, Shelly, I want you to come work for us. The closer you get to that moment, the more they want a human in the mix because they don't want to be picked or not picked by some random algorithm that they're never going to connect with. They want to connect with a human. And as I said earlier, what we see in the data is if they're treated well, if they don't get the job, they're still okay coming back and saying, I'd still work for this company again if they're treated appropriately. If it's just run through the ringer, completely automated, there's no human, that creates a lot of mixed feelings for candidates. Really good insights. I'm going to ask you to get out your crystal ball. I'm looking for predictions of what you envision the next couple of years is going to look like in talent acquisition and HR. Any big predictions, anything that sticks out at you? So I'll tell you the first thing is I expect some companies to go all the way to the nth degree, piggybacking off this AI conversation and say, we're going to automate the heck out of everything. Yeah, And we're going to see them hit the wall. And we're going to come back to some sort of middle ground where it's not automating everything. And it's not also saying we're going to shun all this technology because we're going to be completely human. 
because the data and lots of stories and all the evidence that we're seeing says that, that there is a middle ground where we have some of those things handled via automation and some things via human. We may continue shifting that incrementally towards the automation side because of the talent scarcity story we talked about earlier and some other kinds yeah. of drivers there. But overall, it should not be, in my opinion, ever completely go to that side. Someone's going to do it, though. They're going to see, is it possible? They're going to try it out. And there are some companies I know of, very large enterprises that are already testing that for some jobs. Okay, you've taken this automated phone screen. Here's the date you show up and get your employee badge. They're doing some of those things for those jobs that are very transactional, we'll just say. But yeah. for other types of roles, that's not going to happen. We're not going to put up with that. We're not going to work for an employer that is not willing to spend at least a little bit of time connecting with us and help us understand them. That's one of the things I expect to see is let's go all the way over that pendulum swing and then somewhere back in the middle to settle. The other things I keep seeing and expecting to see, the tools, the technologies that are out there, some of the newer ones, generative AI and so on, that are going to raise the performance level of people who are new in the space, who are new in the field. There was a leader I was talking to recently that says, we keep seeing the data on productivity in the US. The number, they keep expecting it to be like higher and it, it's never as high as they expect it to be. And next year it'll be higher and it's never quite as high as they expect it to be. And part of that is a lot of people are brand new in their jobs. We didn't talk about the demographic piece, the talent scarcity puzzle. Well, that's a big part of it. There's a lot of people who are brand new. I'm stepping yeah. into this role after someone who's done it for 25 years is just retired. And my performance better not be as good as theirs or they were really slacking off. That's one of the reasons productivity is struggling. But if this tool can make me half as capable as them more quickly, that's going to really start to change the productivity overall of the workforce. It's going to change the impact each individual worker can have. And for any of us in the recruiting space, that's going to give us more meaning in our work overall, which excites me to no end. Yeah. Not a single one of us said, you know what? I want to become a recruiter because I can't wait to look at 250 resumes and call back X number of those people. None of us got into it for that. We get into it because we like talking to people. We like finding the opportunity that fits that person. We like connecting more deeply with the people and what matters to them. That's our big focus. And this is going to let us do that more. You know what? Shelly has said that looking at resumes is her favorite activity. Is that still accurate, Shelly? <laughs> it is. I know, Ben, <laughs> I'm a different kind of nerd. Because honestly, I find it absolutely fascinating. I am endlessly curious on why people write what they do, how they write it. Not that I have some sort of magic formula, but having read a few hundred thousand resumes, I can tell you there are some patterns on what this person will be like in an interview. So there are connections with how they write it and what they write. And I love seeing the choices that they made throughout their career path. I don't know. Maybe I'm just nosy. Hey, I, I like the conversation. I just don't want to look at a hundred of those. That's a lot. Goodness. I, got a superpower that we don't have, Serge. I want to say that. Exactly. And we've talked about this. It's the one thing about recruitment that drove me crazy. There's one aspect of finding that resume of that fit and you get excited by it. But when you're spending 99% of your time going through resumes that are not even close to what you're looking at, it is frustrating. But then... The insights that you gave on this episode were amazing. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, I do want the audience to go get your book. It's on Amazon. I'm assuming everywhere else you can get a book. It's called Talent Scarcity, Retain and Engage the Shrinking Workforce. Ben, if someone wants to get a hold of you, questions, anything, what's the best way to get a hold of Ben Eubanks? Easily to connect with me on LinkedIn. TheBenEubanks.com is a website. You can find all the work, yep. podcasts, the research, all those kind of fun things, the books, all that stuff is there. Amazing. Thank you, Thank you so much for coming on. This was Thank fun. Chance, we'll talk so again soon.
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.